people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Till 65. Where'd you do time? Paris. They were throwing money at me every which way. Money, dollar bills. And I'm down on my hands and he's picking up the nickels and dimes. I stood up and fell, fell on the floor again. And I was up in my hands and he was up and down for over 20 minutes. The place was hysterical. They were going crazy. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking to writer-director-slash-editor Jordan West and editor Russell Schaefer, who also does a whole lot of other things. But for this film, Playland, Russell and Jordan were the editors on this. Jordan was the writer-director. It is a really interesting, very beautifully put-together film all about a space in Boston that was a queer club. It deals a lot with memory, with senses. Like I said, it's really a knockout. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Jordan, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into filmmaking? As a child, I definitely was a pretty passionate writer and pretty determined to write the next great American novel. That's not quite happened yet. But it definitely led me slowly into a more visual field. As my work got more and more descriptive, I needed to find other avenues moving through what it meant to translate the real world into myself as a conduit for those experiences. So slowly that became the moving image. I went to undergrad for film, ended up at Emerson College where I did my master's in film, I started working in fashion media and I interned for show studio in London under Nick Knight. And that really was aesthetically one of the most enriching experiences I've ever had. And as I professionalized my work and as I developed the faculties to reach the vision that I had in my mind and close the gap between the disconnect that sometimes happens between an idea and its actualization. Nick was really instrumental in that process. And I started collaborating with a fashion designer named Jamal Osterholm. And we made a series of 
shorts together. And it was around that time that I started putting together the bones for a larger and longer piece that still had that aesthetically rich sartorial edge and explored queerness through set design, through the garment, through the performers themselves, of course. But that sort of aesthetic richness that came into my practice such a formative time has informed the work that I've done up to this point. And uh, I had the idea for Playland and Russell's work was something I became familiar with through Outfest. We screened in the same section one year and Russell has a a background in archives, is a, a rich filmmaker himself has his own practice and really has a history of supporting boundary pushing work and filmmakers who are testing cinematic language and pushing it in new ways so it really felt like match made in heaven so i sent a cold email and here we are and russell how about yourself what's your background as jordan mentioned I come out of this sort of place of making and thinking and being deep inside of archives, which I think are some of the sexiest places. And similarly, like from a very young age, wanted to like get my hands on cameras, wanted to play, took a class in high school. It's like very fortunate that we had a video class in high school and felt very supported early on in that sort of just play around, just figure it out kind of logic. Went to undergrad at UC Irvine, took a year off to work on some documentaries. Some of my earliest formative professional work was in the editorial departments of documentaries, and then went to NYU for a cinema studies master's degree, and Indiana University for a PhD, where I was the archival fellow at the Kinsey Institute, which is a really beautiful place of all different kinds of records about gender, sexuality, reproduction, Anything you can think of in that capacity is housed in this one building in Indiana, in the middle of Indiana. And they're always in this sort of precarious situation where they're in the middle of a state that isn't particularly welcoming to them. And so being in that space, thinking about what it means to be archiving, thinking about what it means to be a queer person in an archive, a queer archive in the middle of a state like Indiana, I think was also a very formative experience for me. And in terms of making... I think, like Jordan said, I have my own practice. I think of myself as sort of visual artist first, although I work mostly in moving image work. I personally have no real priorities over features or shorts. I think work takes the form that it needs to. And I'm most interested in making and supporting other artists who are experimenting with what the grammar is that we use as media makers like how do we find new ways of communicating how do we find new ways of framing those sentences that we're all so familiar with and jordan's work was immediately in that camp very obviously in that camp it's funny because i also find archives very sexy but this one sounds like it's literally sexy with all the the kinsey stuff such a fascinating place. Like the first time that I went to the Kinsey Institute was on an independent study while I was still a master's student at NYU. And I like took a week long trip to Indiana and it was like so hard to get there. The plane that I was supposed to be on was literally struck by lightning and they put us on a party bus going to Bloomington, Indiana from Chicago. It was like the weirdest experience to get there. And then I made it to this space, right? To this, like, I'm like at the Holy Grail of this stuff. And 
it's one little tiny room, the reading room. And they put you like with a, at least at that time with a TV where you can watch through whatever it is that you requested. And there's a little glass booth in the corner where the archivist is like sitting so that they can see you watching the things that you're watching. And it was both like the most wonderful voyeuristic, strange experience, sexy and not all at the same time in a very interesting way. Did you have to keep putting quarters in to watch the stuff you're watching? Goodness. That's a different story for another time. <laughs> it was incredible. It's incredible. Jordan, where did the idea for Playland come from? I knew after I had done my first two shorts that I knew I wanted my first longer endeavor to be about a gay bar in Boston. I was working as a server in a gay bar myself and was just such a rich place, especially temporally being in the service industry, being in the tipped industry, which, you know, is already a precarious existence, but also bearing witness to people who were having their first gay bar experience, mingling with people who are having a later in life, more memory-based experience and treating the space like a memory palace. Even watching the dance floor, I always think of it as like tree rings in a lot of ways. The center of the dance floor is the youngest, most energetic people. And as you slowly move out towards the fringes of that dance floor, you see it, the demographics across ages manifest. So I thought it was just such a an interesting space to get to explore. But as a server and as someone who the first archive that I ended up pulling when I started doing initial research was of a fellow server. I pulled the archive of Sylvia Sidney, who was a very notorious drag queen in Boston in the 20th century. She was known as the queen bitch of Boston. So a lot, that's a big personality, but a lifetime cater waiter and very active in her union as well. So I, I knew I wanted it to be from the perspective of people who weren't just moving through the space, using it and then going home. But really, I wanted to explore what it meant to be a steward of that space for that line between public and private space to start to blur and what it means to have the most mundane day at work where everyone around you seems to have an expectation that this they're having the time of their lives. So I really love that dissonance that happened in my day-to-day -day life as a server and what seemed to emerge from the archives as well as I was doing initial research. But it was very lucky that the first archive I pulled, Sylvia's archive, you know, her exploits would always end at the Playland Cafe. And I had lived in Boston long enough to know that, like, I've never heard of this bar. I've never seen it. They say it's on Essex Street. What's going on? going down and looking at 21S6, where the bar should have been, is now a parking garage. And what emerged from that was really the story of a lot of inner cities across America who had these gay villages and the role that urban renewal government intervention played in decimating those spaces. And it's something that is still happening right now. So it really became the story of not this particular bar, but bars in a more gay bars in a more general sense in these sort the value of brick and mortar gathering spaces but of course we're viewing it from the perspective of people who are not having the best time but really people who are the backbone of making 
this magic trick that is a Friday night happen for the patrons off screen. And why the way that you shot it? Just this kind of, I think you described it as a bricolage. I love that you are using that term for this film. When we started discussing like what it means to utilize different archival pieces and the voices of the actual archives were the things that were going to be the prominent voices of the film carrying us through. It really meant creating these vignettes, snatches of life from the service industry, backstage moments in which we're getting the glimmers of a life, but in an uncanny way where you can project your own expectations or your own experiences within these gathering spaces yourself. I don't think it was ever our intention in any way to have a hyper-realistic portrayal of the interior of the space. Also, there aren't a ton of interior photos that even exist at the Playland Cafe. So it really was, what does it mean to speak to the archival silence that is there? What does it mean to create speculative fiction between the gaps of what you're able to find? Who gets to be archived? And who isn't there anymore? So we really chose an aesthetically very rich approach where we were using high fantasy mixed with the lowbrow expectation of a gay bar performance in order to realize the sort of liminality of what does it mean to be erased and what does it mean to speak to erasure without speaking over it. So that was something that we were really committed to. I didn't want to conduct any new interviews. I wanted to utilize and highlight what exists in the archives already and speak to the gaps that exist as well. I think that's one of the things that I really loved too, Jordan, just to to add to that is that like from the very beginning, having conversations around like what you do when a space isn't documented, when people don't want to be documented in a space at a certain time, when it's dangerous to be seen somewhere, what do you do then? 20 years later, 30 years later, when that history isn't so clearly mapped out in the ephemera, do you throw your hands up and go, oh, we have no history? Or do you let your imagination run wild? Do you decide what the fantastical possibilities could have been? And I think there's a lot of beautiful queer energy in that imagining what our own histories are. The aesthetic richness of the film is part of that causal chain linking us back to queer history. I think there was an article that came out recently that was like, thank you, you get it style really is a huge substance of this film and is a huge link back to not only moving image history as queer people and referencing different moments in queer moving his moving image history but also linking back to historically queer moments in boston using garment using set design and allowing that sort of aesthetic drive to be part of a conversation of a lineage So both of you are credited as editors on this film, and I'm very curious how you approach that and especially how you work together. What was that actual working relationship like? Yeah, we need to hand over huge files to one another. Like, I think every time we like just passed it back and forth, it really was highly collaborative. And as I've said before, there's not a part of the film Russell hasn't touched and there's not a part of the film I have not touched. I, we didn't, divide and conquer it really was our hands were within sometimes every single shots like we really were going in and every image that ended up in the film 
is curated and is specific and has a lot of love and intentionality in it. So it meant we were very much involved in every single moment and every single beat in the film. I think that also really allowed us to then think about the implications of changing any one given edit instead of segmenting it up into this sort of, if we even could have, I don't even think it would have been possible. There's no logic to it to have said, like, I'm taking the first act, you're taking the second act, because it doesn't really operate that way. But then what it allowed us to do is to say, okay, if we shorten this beat, or we elongate this beat, or we change this element construction early in the film, what are the repercussions of that 30 minutes later, 40 minutes later? Because so much of the edit is about crafting this mood, about crafting this pace that sort of ushers you through. And I think doing this full handoff allowed us to be surprised by each other, to see something that somebody had done and to be like, oh my gosh, this edit that you did at minute three, all of a sudden dramatically impacts minute 68, right? There's this wild correlation. And sometimes we wouldn't even see it for ourselves, I think. Like we'd make some little change. And then when we'd watch the whole thing through again, it'd be like, oh, something new is blossoming. And we'd give ourselves the time to play. Even doing B-roll additions to the film, Russell shot all the title cards in the film on 16 that I like was like hand designing and in design. So it really was highly collaborative process throughout even post-production as we like filled in the gaps and met the demands of what the footage was asking of us. Were you even sitting in the same room or are you divided by the distance? We started together right after the shoot. We booked two weeks uh, together in a lake house in Massachusetts. And we did our very first assembly there. But it was very clear to us, I think, at the end of that two weeks, that piece that we had shot and the archive that we were playing with really demanded a much slower, much longer gestation process. And so Jordan and I made mirror drives together at that lake house and then wandered off in our respective directions. And then Jordan was editing in Provincetown, in Colorado. I was editing in San Diego. And we just passed across the country to each other. What were you actually editing in? Adobe Premiere. Exclusively in Premiere. Almost everything, including the effects in the film and the mats and everything, are all built in Premiere. How much of what we see was captured on camera versus what is post? Because it feels like there's definitely a care to every single shot. Oh, thank you. No, we did color with Harbor. So we were really lucky to find fabulous collaborators in them. And Andrea over at Harbor was absolutely incredible. And Jojo, our DP, had worked on the LUT that we used throughout the shoot before. But I think the level of entanglement that happened between costume, set design, camera team, like Kristen, who was our production designer, Edwin, who was the costume designer, and then Jojo, of course, who was the DP, like the in-shot look was already very striking. What we were doing in throughout post was more or less having to do with timing and really strengthening our relationship in post-production to like the more temporal nature of the piece and playing with sound and playing within the shots as well, composite-wise, to get that timing really just down. But I would say the in-camera look was already extraordinary on set. And during that time when we were in the lake house, 
I already knew we both left knowing what parts of the footage we were going to use. So we had already established which shots were the best. So it really was about taking the time in post-production to, to strengthen the already gorgeous imagery in the shots. And if you can't see any sleight of hand in it, I don't know if I want to reveal it. <laughs> you mentioned the sound and the sound design is amazing. And I watched it with headphones on, which I know not everybody's going to be able to do, but wow, what an experience. When you were saying, oh, did you have to put a quarter in? There's something like very Nickelodeon about this film where I think having an individual viewing experience like and really being enraptured by the sound design and having that personal connection to it is something that the sound really lends itself well to. And Russell introduced me to Aaron Michael Smith, who is a previous collaborator of his. And Aaron created an archive of sound for us. So like before we even added into the shoot, we had a treasure trove of sounds to play on set and that's what we did play on set it was in the dressing room it was even underneath some of the shots that we were taking to conjure a very specific mood especially because so much of the acting is non-verbal it's really gestural it's really bodily movement oriented conlang and so i think working with aaron and having initial discussions that we wanted the sound design and whatever soundscape emerged from his mind to be entangled. We wanted them to be inseparable elements. And we worked with a sound designer named Cal People, who was able re- really to work within that initial design that really never really changed throughout. That was something that was conceptually there from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the things I loved about working with Aaron on it as well is that it really like at every stage, every element that we were pulling from felt like its own archive. So like Jordan was saying, by the time we were shooting, I think Aaron had composed something absurd, like 80 tracks or something. It was like an incredible wealth of material that was all just tonally inspired by these beats that we were talking about that Jordan and Aaron had discussed that are in the script, where Aaron's using his imagination running wild. And then we could pull, okay, let's try this moment again on set with this piece, with that piece, see what that elicits. It really did feel like every stage is a new archival experiment. Every stage is a new play with a new archive. Absolutely. And there's so many sonic elements that I'm like, ah, I couldn't put them in. I couldn't make them fit in here. And there's still so many beautiful pieces and I hope we get to release those eventually because Aaron's work is really extraordinary and very singular. Have you already premiered at Tribeca? We have. We had our first two of three screenings. We have one more on June 16th, tomorrow. And then we head to Provincetown and then to Frameline immediately after. Russell, I'm so curious about your work. Where can I see it at? A lot of it is available on Canopy. If you wander into that sort of educational realm, that we, I run a company in San Diego called Artless Media, and a lot of our work is also available there. The work that we've supported before, as well as my own. So artlessmedia.com is a good starting place. And then Jordan, where's the best place for people to keep up with you? You can check out my website and also anything on Artless as well. It has more information about Playland. But like 
Jordan, which is spelled wild, jordanewest.com. My body of work is largely unreleased that way, can continue to have a robust life in the gallery space, and also to continue to elevate the work of my very talented collaborators. Jordan and Russell, thank you so much for your time. This was great talking with you, and congrats on Playland, because it's a wonderful film that I hope a lot of people see. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Play.